who would like to go first on introducing yourself over to you I am Claire. I have been in the veterinary profession for almost 16 years now in small animal practice. I have worked in private practice. I've worked in charity practice. The last 18 months, I have been self-employed as a locum. And I also run Vet Empowered with Katie. So I'm also a coach. I'm a meditation guide. I've done lots of further trainings and personal development topics and really passionate about being in the space, helping other people to realise their worth and their value and to be able to navigate the challenges that are going to come along in life, because that's inevitable, right? Whatever we do in life, there are going to be challenges that we face. So being able to help others, giving them the tools and the understanding to help them to navigate those. And I'll share a little bit about my personal journey. And, and that's what I love about myself and Katie. Like our journeys were very different, but we've kind of aligned on the same vision. So I have always like loved being part of the profession, loved being a vet, had a lot of the worries, sort of common worries as a new graduate around confidence and feeling like I didn't know enough. But generally, my experience of being in the profession has been largely a positive one. And for me, what happened was I encountered a lot of challenges in my personal life. So um, trauma within my family unit, I went through divorce, I lost my best friend who passed away, I lost another friend in a short space of time. And that kind of left me in a position where I knew that something needed to change, but I wasn't quite sure what. So from the outside, it looked like I was coping really well. I was going to work every day. I was sociable. I was going out from the outside, looked like I was doing all the things, but inside I was really, really struggling with feeling lost and feeling not good enough and not really knowing what the next step should be that I should take. So I did one of two things. I went to therapy. I've been to therapy multiple times in my life. And the last time I went was very impactful. It was really helpful. But the biggest thing that I did was I was part of a group coaching program that was run by two life coaches in Edinburgh which is where I live and when I signed up I, I really didn't know what to expect if someone had said to me oh Claire like maybe you should think about working with a life coach I would have been absolutely insulted like what do you mean I don't need a life coach like I've got everything fine and I've got the mask on all the time that looks like I'm doing really really well but actually what that experience gave me was it really helped me to connect with myself underneath my job title to realize my own worth and my own value based on me as a human not based on a skill set or academic achievements and it really helped me to build a strong relationship with myself so prior to that I'd been in a lot of patterns of dating men who are very emotionally unavailable I was constantly looking for external validation trying to prove that I was good enough pretty enough funny enough and going through that coaching experience just lit a fire in my belly to help others to do the same. And I realized that I'd really found my purpose. So I did my coach training around my full-time charity practice job. And I always say like, everyone's like, oh my God, that must've been such hard work. And I'm like, it didn't feel like it because I just loved coaching so, so much. I'm so passionate about it. And then towards the end of my training, I connected with Katie. We came together to create Vet Empowered. So it really has been an amazing journey. Yeah, that sounds a really, really strong journey. And it's definitely some of those different challenges. As, as I said, I think we all have them just very different and we deal with them very differently. So that sounds like a really inspirational 
route to how you got to where you are now. Katie, I wondered if you'd let us in on where you are and a bit about you too. Yeah, absolutely. And thank you for sharing your story there, Claire. I know I've heard it many, many times, but I think it's so powerful. So I'm also a veterinary surgeon. I qualified 11 years ago now. Um, Side note, time flies really, really quick. When I first graduated, I'll be totally honest, I was offered a small animal internship. And at the time, I was seeing mixed practice. And I was torn. I realised that we're on the cattle cast here and actually we're smallies vets. But I loved mixed practice and I actually turned the internship down to take a mixed practice job. And actually that fell through. But you know what? In the longer run, everything's worked out how it's meant to do. But I genuinely genuinely loved it. I ended up going and taking a smallies first opinion role just because again things didn't work out and if I'm totally honest I probably took the first job that I could see that had a decent salary and was like oh just give me that one which is something I think we've had more conversations about over the years since figuring out what's important to you thinking about what you'd like your work life to look like and at that point I had no idea about any of this stuff. So I'd always been what you probably classically label a high achiever. I was a person that very much valued myself and other people did, to be honest, reflecting back on my grades, on my outcomes. And when I went into this first role, it was super busy. And actually on reflection, I was doing pretty well, but I couldn't own any of it. I'd have decent case outcomes. That little voice in my head would say, oh, anyone could have done that, Katie. That was really straightforward. That was super common. Of course, you should be able to handle that. If I got something more complicated and I did exactly what we should do, I went and asked for some help or I sought further information about it. I discredit it again. Well, they did that for you. You went and looked that up. You didn't really know that. And I was becoming increasingly frustrated with this. I was working longer and longer hours and trying to kind of outwork this story that I was listening to. And eventually decided I changed job roles, went to a quieter first opinion practice, longer consults a different type of, uh, of a clinic to be in. And I was offered to do um, further study into a certificate. And we were talking before we started recording about how often we've kind of been handed this path that we should be following. And it becomes loads of shoulds that you never question. So I thought, I didn't take the internship. I'd like to progress in my career. What's the next option? What will prove I actually deserve this? A certificate. So I started doing a certificate discounted every achievement I had in my certificate you know it was always well you've just come out of vet school Katie you've only just done Harvard referencing so of course you can write case reports it's not because you're actually good at them you just remember how to use a software and eventually I got my certificate and nothing changed (laughs) I thought I'm going to get those extra letters and suddenly I don't know I'm going to become really empowered and super confident and I'm going to think that I know what I'm doing and that same sort of niggly voice of self-doubt was there and Kind of fast forward very, very quickly, I ended up in a very sort of dark, anxious, worried, lack of job satisfaction, really not enjoying my career place because I was working every hour that was sent to me to try and quieten down this, you don't deserve to be here, you're not good enough story that I was listening to. I'm thankful that the people around me eventually said, look, were worried about you can you get some help is there some support that you could get because they'd see me crying when I was on call they'd see me really upset about the smallest of things not going to plan in my work because I tried to constantly disaster prevent 
they saw me not being able to see how good they thought I was externally, just like in Claire's story. I had the house, I had the car, I was a senior vet, I spoke at the clients' evenings, I had a radio show, I had the certificate, I was the person that everyone wanted to see. And I felt like I was just creating this persona that I was. And I reached out and went to therapy, which it helped set me on a path to understanding just how powerful our thoughts are and to understanding ourselves more. And then I ended up finding, again, a, a group program that really helped me to understand that underneath I'd always been valuable. And it sounds super cheesy and like way back when I would have really cringed at it, but it was probably the first time that I ever realized I'm valuable and that's a complete sentence. It's not I'm valuable because I've got these extra letters or because I can do a bitch stay in this amount of time or because I've been to this university and all those things that are kind of being handed that I never chose. And my life really changed. I went from really dreading work to actually quite enjoying it. Nothing really external changed that much for me other than the way that I was seeing it and the way I was treating myself. And that was a game changer for me to realize that, I'd probably been treating other people in a way that I wouldn't choose when I got really frustrated and exhausted. I was getting quite sharp with people, quite snappy with people. I had low patience levels. And in that time, I completely transformed how I treated other people and how I treated myself. And that led to more conversations, which ultimately led me to start sharing it online, which led to the following that I've got now, which is upwards of 20,000 people across the profession. And I started talking about my experiences of imposterism and feeling like I wasn't good enough and that someone was going to find me out and people started commenting and saying oh my gosh I thought it was only me thank you so much for being so vulnerable thank you for sharing this because I used to look around social media and see everybody smashing it and thought they're all doing great here's more evidence why I'm useless and actually I thought you know what I'm just going to put it out there because I value myself I feel in a comfortable enough position to do that and it helped people. And ultimately, just as Claire did, I ended up going on and training as a coach. I'm just doing a master's in emotional well-being therapy at the moment. I've trained in a number of different modalities. Both of us are, are trauma-informed as coaches. And it really just led me on this very passionate mission to help other people, just like Claire said, to remember their value and remember who they are underneath all those shoulds and musts and help them feel a bit less lost and have a bit more faith in their abilities. So when Claire and I first jumped on a call together years back now, we realized that we were very aligned on that as a passion and people be more than their job title. You know, it's easy for us to put our whole value on a case outcome. And it makes total sense when we look at everything we've been exposed to up until that point. So we came together and created Vet Empowered, which we absolutely love. And hopefully you can see from our stories there that bringing those two together, we both come to a similar conclusion, but through wildly different circumstances. And like you said, everyone has challenges. We're both very open about those. Anyone that follows me on social media will have seen that I shared that um, my dad sadly passed away within the last 18 months, really unexpectedly. And I openly shared, you know, I went to grief counselling for that. Yes, I'm a coach. Yes, I am training in all sorts of extra things, but we never get to a point where we're not allowed to have a space held for us. So you'll always find us being very authentic and compassionate in everything that we do. Uh, that's great. And there's so much overlap. I think as an industry, we're like, oh, well, we're farm vets. It's totally different. But actually, there's massive overlap as I did my certificates because I felt I should do it before I started my family. So I managed to get that before I went off on maternity leave. And again, it's 
one of those self questions that you challenge yourself to and make you do before you might actually be ready to do it or make the most of it. And there isn't that magic. Oh, yeah, now you've got these extra letters. It's going to make any difference in your day to day life. I think the really important thing to remember is we never discourage anyone from going and doing a certificate. It's just getting clear on the reasons why we're doing it. If we're doing it just because we 100% want to feel different at the end or more valuable, it's us actually sitting back and saying, look, I'm already valuable, but why am I choosing to do this? And it might be because you say, you know what, I enjoy learning. This aligns with what's important to me. This is going to equip me with a different skill set and that's going to have this impact but let's just notice and without judgment, if we do get those stories coming up saying, well, it'll be okay when you've done this, notice it. And then let's see where we can gently like realign on, okay, is this something that I definitely want to do? And maybe you want to talk that out with somebody as well, just to soundboard your decision. No, it's great. And you mentioned there that empowered, where can people find you and follow you? So yeah, we are on all over social media at Vet Empowered. Um, so Instagram, we're really active on there. We're on Facebook, we're on LinkedIn, we're on Twitter. There's our website as well, which is vetempowered.com. So yeah, Instagram is usually where we are hanging out most though. Okay, that's really good. And I guess from all these conversations you're having with vets, a few similar stories keep coming up. I wondered if you could share some of those and maybe some ideas on next steps people can positively take if they're in that space at the time absolutely I mean if between us Claire should we think of two to three I'd say the first two that will come to mind would be I feel like I've got low confidence the second one would be I feel a little bit lost Claire what would you add there as well I think a a big one is And I hate using the term work-life balance because I think it's hard to get the balance, but like work-life integration in terms of people feeling like work's becoming all-consuming and they don't feel that they have any time for themselves outside of work to do the things that they enjoy doing. I think that, I think you'd agree, Katie, that's Mm. one of the big, big themes that we see coming through. Definitely. And if we were to give some value for people listening, I think, First of all, if we take the confidence piece, we we do a lot of work around this. And I realize we've only got a few minutes, but just to actually, first of all, realize that confidence isn't something that we do or don't have. It's something that we can build. And it's something that comes from us taking the action with the support in place that we need and acknowledging it as we do it, looking at things like growth mindset, celebrating those small wins. And also one of the things we say frequently is like confidence and comfort aren't the same thing that sometimes we think that confidence is this thing that's going to show up where we have no worries whatsoever and we take a step forward. It's more of this confidence in our ability to deal with what the outcome is, whether that's with support, whether that's having backup plans in place, whether that's remembering your strengths and your skill set, and the fact that you are resourceful and you have managed to make this work rather than saying, I must make this work perfectly and I must know just what's going to happen. And I know Claire will add to that too, but in a snippet, that will be some of our biggest sort of top tips to start thinking about confidence wise. Absolutely. And I think it is so important, like you said, Katie, to remember that confidence is like a muscle that we flex. And the more that we practice using it, the the stronger that it gets. And I think that's one of the biggest myths is, people believe that they're just not a confident person. Like, well, I've just never been a confident person. I'm not confident. But again, confidence isn't an identity. Confidence is something that we build. And 
that comes sometimes from taking the action, even if we don't quite feel ready. And we always use this in context, right, when we're talking about being within the profession and clinical work. So we quite often share the example of you're not going to be like, oh, well, I've never done a spinal surgery before, but I'm just going to crack on because I want to build my confidence. Like we use this within context, but it can be trying something new, even if you don't feel ready to do it. And knowing that quite often once we've taken the action, that in itself builds confidence. Just sometimes taking the action helps to build our confidence as well. So yeah, that is the biggest sort of theme that we see coming through, particularly with new and recent grads, but in all honesty, across the profession, specialists, whether smallies, vets, farm vets, equine, mixed, 10 years out, 20 years out, 25 years out, you know, nurses, practice managers, vets, confidence is the biggest thing that we speak to people about. No, yeah, it's great bringing in that sort of growth mindset um, and, you know, how we can continue to challenge ourselves, but in a positive, supportive way, not in a, oh, I bet you can't do that kind of mindset. So all about that story you tell yourself, I guess, a little bit. I think the other thing that we forget is often there are things that we once weren't confident with. We built confidence and it became so normal to us, we've discounted it. We know that as we go through the stages, we start off sort of unconsciously incompetent. We, we don't know what we're not good at. We, we don't know that we're rubbish at X, Y, Z because nobody's brought that to our attention. Then when we realize that maybe we're not good at it, we become consciously incompetent. Oh my God. And then, you know, we've all got that little inner critic comes up, doesn't it? It says, you're not very good at this. Everybody else is brilliant at it. You could never do this. And then as we keep working and as we keep doing it, and as we keep backing ourselves and using support where we need to, breaking it down into steps, we become consciously competent. We go, oh, actually, I can do that now. I remember that with PB and cows. I actually loved it in the end. At first, it was like everybody else in my group, in my rotation group at uni, they were all from dairy farms. So they were like almost born being able to do this. I joke. I was like, I can't even find the uterus. Why can't I find the uterus? And then time went on and eventually it's like, oh, quite good at this now. This is good. And it felt good. But then the more that we do it, we go from being consciously competent to unconsciously competent. It's almost on autopilot. In the same way that smallies vets, maybe once a cat spay looked like the hardest thing in the world. And then that becomes almost the, not that we don't take them still seriously, but it becomes a, oh, I've got cat space today. I'm going to do the surgery. I'm going to be proud of it, but I'm not going to give it a second thought. And there's so many things that we've become so unconsciously competent at that we never give ourselves a bit of credit for that. And our mind has just gone towards that one thing or that handful of things that maybe we're at one of the earlier stages with. So that might be something useful for people to consider as well as at the beginning, there is that stage and it's with repetition, like you said, growth mindset and everything that Claire was saying there, I just echo that too. Yeah, no, that's great. And I think confidence is a thing that I think some people think, oh, they're just confident people, but it is something that we we all need to work on no matter what stage we're at. So that's a great one. Um, you mentioned uh, another common scenario of this feeling of being lost. I wondered if you could um, discuss that one a bit more. Yeah, of course we can do. And I'm going to keep this brief and hand to Claire so I don't just walk on for ages. Often we've had all these society shuds given to us and all these expectations and all these stereotypes, paths that we think that we have to follow And then when we don't know what direction to head in, we start questioning ourselves. And actually, one of the things we're really passionate about at Vet Empowered is 
creating that space so you can start to understand you as an individual, what is important to me, what have I enjoyed previously, what have I been curious about, what are the things in my life that are most important to me. So we do a lot around core values and a bit around strengths as well, don't we, Claire? Yeah, absolutely. And a really powerful question that I love to give to people is, what would you do if you had no fear and nothing was holding you back? Because quite often there can be this feeling of being lost or stuck because we're so worried about other people's opinions. What's my boss going to think if I leave this job? I've only been in it three months. What is my family going to think if I decide that actually I want to take a step out of the profession because I'm not sure this is what I want to do anymore? What are my peers going to think? What are my friends going to think? And I think we can put so much pressure on ourselves with that worry about other people's opinions. And that's one of the, the things that we really encourage at Vet Empowered is being able to take that step back and to gently let go of the weight of those opinions and really tune into like what's important to me like what are my values how do I want to spend my time what lights me up and I think so often people don't give themselves the time to do that we get caught a little bit in the rat race or the hamster wheel and we're in practice and we're in this job and it's so busy and we're like I know I don't really want to be here but I'm not sure what the next step is going to be and sometimes the best thing we can do is just allow ourselves some time and space just to pause and reflect and tune into what is really important to me because I think something we have to remember is like we get one life in this body right and we get to choose what we do and that can sometimes get lost with the expectations that are placed on us by others but the expectations we place on ourselves as well so we really encourage other people to just gently start to get curious about like what would feel good for me like how do I want to feel on a day-to-day basis and I know with the one-to-one clients that I've had that are in the profession as well one of the most empowering things that they do is start to tune into like how do I want to feel and they start to make those small shifts in terms of their habits or their routine or their energy and their mindset and they get to the end of their coaching journey and nothing's really changed externally quite often they're still in the same job role it's still the same clients it's still the same caseload but something shifted in them and they feel different and that then empowers them to make a decision that comes from that place of groundedness and and taking this step because this is what I really want to do, whether it's staying in the job, whether it's moving to another job, whether it's diversifying, side hustling, stepping out of the profession altogether. And I think the other important thing to remember is if we step out of the profession, we can step back in again. Sometimes there's this pressure of, oh, my God, if I decide that I'm going to stop vetting for a period of time, I won't be able to come back. Or what if I can't come back? Or what if things have changed too much? And I think it's always remembering that that there is that option to come back. It's okay to, to try other things. And yeah, just taking the pressure off and doing what feels good for us. Yeah, no, I definitely think when you're in it in those busy times, you know, you're in that hamster wheel, as you you put it, you almost feel guilty about giving yourself the time to think through some of these things. It can definitely help in the longer term to stop the wheel spinning faster and faster, but it's giving yourself that time, I guess. And is that quite a common feeling of the guilt of giving yourself the time? We definitely see that. You know, I think we're a very compassionate profession to everybody else. And one of the things that we really encourage, because 
primarily we walk our talk and we do it but there's a huge amount of science behind it is this idea of self-compassion to extend that consideration that kindness that warmth that understanding that we've got for everybody else to ourselves because we know that without using the cliches they you have to fill your own cup up first put your own oxygen mask on first you know actually they're true and that's why I know they've become a bit cliched but they are true and I think just as we were saying about holding that space, sometimes even creating that space to check in of actually, am I burnt out? Is it that I do need to start integrating the, those opportunities for rest or the things that help me to recharge or do I need to reach out for some support and then realizing that that job is still the right job for you when you've given yourself that space to be able to look at it, as Claire said, either from that different perspective or having given yourself that chance to actually recover from those sort of chronic stresses and start to put the new things in place that help you to keep showing up feeling like you rather than it being, like you said, the hamster wheel of, oh, I'll just get through this day, I'll just get through this shift. And hopefully for people listening, this is an empowering piece to realise there are things that you can change, there are people that can support you, there's tweaks that can be made. And again, to release that pressure of, I must know what to do immediately in this moment, why don't I know what to do next? sometimes and we talk about this a lot on vet empowered is rather than trying to answer that one massive big question that you put in a lot of pressure on yourself about is it me or the job should I stay or should I go should I move and do this it's actually asking lots of smaller peripheral questions that help to break that down by getting more information and that's something that we love doing with the coaching is helping people get the answer from them yeah, no, definitely. I think a lot of people in the position where it's often work related are like, oh, well, I'll just stop this job and start another one. And actually you carry with you a lot of the problems and the, a lot of the issues. So actually it just happens again, rather than maybe getting to some of the, the core sort of problems. And it is interesting that a lot of your outcomes aren't, oh, they just moved jobs or they just did something on the side. It's actually returning, but with that different mindset and story, I suppose. Yeah, definitely. And I think one of the other things is we when we're thinking about factors that we do and don't want, we're thinking about that idea of things that we maybe want to move away from, but things that we also want to move towards. Because when we're looking at motivation, if we just say, I just don't want to be in this job at all, and we're only thinking about what we want to move away from, and we're not thinking about what direction we want to head in, just as you said there, sometimes we can find ourselves in another role where there are things that we equally don't like as much so we've seen it previously where not people that have specifically been through the program but maybe have made job roles without having any space to just think about what's important to me they've said I just don't want to do clinical work and they've landed in a job where they've said oh my gosh actually you know what the things that I didn't like there just have their equivalent here and now I want to move to something else. So actually, it's just, again, value to giving yourself that space and whether that's with someone else to help support you to soundboard that or just to start to, without judgment, notice like the patterns. Are there other things that I can put in place to support me? Because we also know that when we are very stressed, often our bodies aren't always thinking of the most longer term decisions. Sometimes we're just thinking of short term decisions from like a, a place of stress so that's why it's really important for us even if we are gearing up to make a career change for us to think about how can I look after me and how can I manage that stress in the short term so that I can start to empower myself to make the, the best decision I can with the resources that I've got at the moment. 
No, that's great. And I guess that leads a bit on to everyone's success looks different, but how we can work that out for ourselves. And I guess that's something you guys come across quite a bit as well. Absolutely. And I think it's so important to remember that everyone is going to define success differently and it's going to look and feel differently for every single individual person. So it was funny, I had a a client a few years ago and we were talking about what she wanted to create in her life. And she said, well, like I've got a vision board and I've got pictures on there. And I was like, what's on there? And she's like, well, I've got a big house and I'm going on holiday three times a year and I'm really enjoying my career and I've got lots of family time and I've got a fancy car. And I was like, how do you feel when you look at it? She's like, I don't really feel anything. And I'm like, that's really interesting. Why do you think that is? And she sat for a minute and she's like, because that's what I thought should be on there. Because society tells us that when we're successful, we have a high flying career, we have a big house, we've got a shiny car, we've got multiple holidays a year, everything is rosy all of the time. And I was like, what do you want though? Like, what do you want to create? And a lot of that shifted and changed. And she said, you know, it's not so much about the material things, it's how I want to feel on a day-to-day basis like I want to feel connection I want to feel joy I want to feel confident and capable and I want to feel contentment and more peace in my day-to-day life as well and once we'd kind of shifted that and realized that that was her definition of success it was much easier for her to take the steps to get there and I think it is really interesting when we think of that you know what does success look like to you and so many of us are programmed in the same way by society and it can be really useful just to step back and feel into like what does success feel like to me like in six months time if I was to say that I feel success in my life how does that feel how is that looking and sometimes that's the simple things like I'm spending time with friends and I'm having more conversations and you know, I'm feeling content in where I am with my career, or maybe I'm thinking about making a change and I'm working towards that. And just remembering that we're all individual and I guess just taking the pressure off and the judgment off because just because your definition of success doesn't look like society's doesn't mean there's anything wrong with that. Yeah, and I guess that can often take a bit longer as well if you sometimes think, oh, right, quickly, let's think what I'm aiming for and where I'm going. It's like, yep, 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 right. These are the obvious choices maybe mm-hmm. as the common ones, whereas it might mean something, you know, the feelings I think are often harder to think about or whether that's just me being a less feelings-based person. But I definitely mm-hmm. think that they're more powerful but often difficult to align maybe. Yeah, I think one of the important things as well is, reflecting back like if we were to say like what were some of the happiest times that I can think of and what were the things that were involved there because actually it's so interesting I think it was um, a quote that went around on social media that was saying list the 10 happiest times in your life and I bet none of them involve wi-fi and actually it's sometimes just sitting back and saying okay what was it about that time is there anything that I can like extrapolate from there that I could start adding in this or that it might give me information about what success actually means to me maybe it is like Claire was saying well I was around a lot of my friends all the time or whether it was you know I was adding like little adventures in all the time or it was that I had some novelty or that I was learning or it was the team that I was around and then starting to use all of that as information about you as a unique person because 
sometimes, like we've said all the way through this, some for some people, they're going to say, you know what, this job is still the right job for me. And that's fine. Other people might make a radical shift from what they thought they should want. Like one of our um, family friends was one of the UK's youngest female judges. She was very successful for a couple of years, spent some time reflecting, realized she hated it. Now she bought a little coffee van and she goes around selling coffee and she is content as anything. And the reason why I share that is just take a moment to think about, like, do you find that story inspiring? Because most people go, good for her that's incredible like well done you but so often if we thought about making that change the first thing that come up is oh my goodness what will everyone else think well actually most people would think well done them for going after what's important to them just as you have done when you've heard that story so yeah use information that you've got from previous experiences and like Claire said like when we notice a should like actually sit back and be like, okay, can I flip that to being a could? Well, I could do that. Is that actually what I want to do? No, I think that's a really useful tip of going back and thinking what's actually made you happy or when have you felt successful or calm or in control and picking out those things. I think that's a definite tip there. So thank you for that. Thirdly, I guess you you talked about, not that you wanted to call it work-life balance, <laughs> um, but that's what I've scribbled down. So that's what I've got, because <laughs> uh, I think everyone has had that uh, mental argument in their head. Um, and I notoriously am extremely bad at work-life balance. So I will tune into this bit and listen intently. <laughs> <laughs> Absolutely. And I think it's such an important part of our lives that balance or that integration between work and life and I think sometimes it's stepping back and looking at what are the things that are within my control because sometimes we're focusing on the things that are out with our control and we're getting frustrated because we're going oh like a client's phoned in at 10 to 6 and this is really annoying or I don't want anybody to phone or I don't want this to happen or I don't want that to happen and actually there's so much within our job that we don't really have an awful lot of control over. We just have to deal with things as and when they kind of come in. So looking at making the shifts towards like what is within my control and it might be that, I don't know, I'm just going to pluck an example out of thin air, you have got a client to ring with results. Do you have to do that this evening or could that wait until tomorrow? Could that be popped on a list for things to do tomorrow? Could that job be delegated to somebody else? And I think often what can happen um, when we're in practice is we put this pressure on ourselves that I have to get absolutely everything done and I must do this and I must do that. And sometimes it can be helpful to step back and go, okay, what are the things that I must do and what are the things that can wait? So those are little things that are kind of within our control. And the other thing is like us learning to set boundaries as well and remembering that it's really important that we are taking breaks, that we are taking our lunch break, that we are getting away on time where we're able to. Now, we're not going to argue that that's going to happen every single day in practice. It's not because sometimes you're going to have the block cat coming at five to six or you're going to have a call to say that, you know, there's a C-section cow that you're going to have to go out and do and it has to be done. There's no choice in that. And I think we accept that. But I think there are other times when we are able to make different choices for ourselves that enables us to have more of that kind of work-life integration and also thinking about like being really honest I mean like how am I spending my time outside of work am I spending it doing things that like light me up or help me to relax or am I sitting doom scrolling on my phone for two hours a night that can sometimes be hard to like reflect on and be like 
spend a lot of time on TikTok. <laughs> like, you know, I'm lying in my bed scrolling TikTok. I'm totally wired. And I could have spent, you know, half an hour reading a book or doing some yoga or having a bath and just looking at things again through that lens of curiosity and not criticism, but also taking accountability for the things that we are doing and looking at like, what are the shifts and changes that I can make? And again, I think it comes down to like, what's within my control? What are the things that I can do for me? Yeah, that's great. I think the easy solution is just, oh, well, I'll try and keep work at work. So you try and make the time that you are deemed as working more intense and more often difficult and hard on yourself. Whereas sometimes just doing those controllable things, maybe starting half an hour earlier, but feeling in control of the day actually makes that day feel so much better. So the balance is there in the integration rather than just the oh, I won't think about it until I have to get in my car and then I'm rushing late and then it starts bad before you even get to work. I think there's a couple of bits as well in there. I think, first of all, often we forget that there are conversations that we can have if this is something that happens regularly. And I get it that sometimes it it feels like almost defeat and like nothing might change. But if it's that we get to the end of the day and we've always got loads left to do, so that we can gather that evidence and we can talk to someone about it and just say look is there is there anything that can be changed so so often we're the ones that say no to ourselves we just decide that nothing can change and we just have to like fire on through and and make it happen the second thing is and it's kind of like that we've all got our own definition of success it's giving people time to think about what does work-life balance actually mean to me because often we do get to that point where almost this narrative as a society that we've got around work-life balance is that work is bad and life is good and just like you were saying when we're looking at identifying our core values what's important to us they can also show up in work too so sometimes it's like a balance of am I addressing all the things that are important to me in life outside of work and inside of work because if we know that the things that are really important to us are like connection and purpose and we spend a bit of time looking at and saying you know what actually the reason why I'm doing this tonight is this But in exchange for having done that, I know that tonight for me to recharge and look at the other things that are important to me in life, I'm going to put this, this and this in there as well. So, um, yeah, absolutely. I think it's worth us getting clear on what our definition is, not saying no to ourselves. And just like Claire said, let's look at what is in our control. And sometimes that's having those conversations as well. If we notice, you know what, actually, I can only get this far with this. Yeah, no, definitely. I think it's just having those sort of discussions with yourself on, and it is compromise, like life, I think, really, unfortunately. To an extent, I think it's just knowing like what is an exception and what has kind of become a rule. When we reflect back and we say, just like Claire was saying, sometimes on an evening at 10 to 7, we're going to get the phone call and we're going to be the one that has to go on that visit. And if we tune in and say, you know what, actually, what is in my control here? This was an exception. What do I need to put into place so that I can feel like me at this point? But if that's every single night, maybe that's a point to check in and be like, okay, I've addressed the things that are within my control, but actually this is happening all the time. And I've noticed this is how this is causing me to feel. And this is what it's giving me. Is there like, what what else is in my control that I can do here? What conversations could I have? Can I go back and talk about this? Is there anything else that I can do to, to help set me up with this? And we get it. Sometimes that that does feel uncomfortable. But actually, when we talk to a lot of employers as well, when they run like exit interviews, 
they realised that things that were brought up that they wish were changed could actually have been put into place, but they only found out if someone had decided, I just don't want the job anymore. So that's a, another insight as well, is actually, let's not be the ones to say no to ourselves if we notice that something has become the new rule, if that makes sense. Yeah, no, definitely. And having that sort of open and honest conversations, even though they are sometimes difficult to start, are definitely worth having. Otherwise, you'll regret it. You know, if you wait on it for a year or even longer in some people's cases, you know, and then regret not having those conversations. Yeah, I remember when I was probably two or three years graduated, I was working in a job where I did one in two on call, which everyone's always like, what, one in two for years? But it was using the keyword, it was quite quiet on call. But I used to drive home and sometimes I was the one that always got the calls. Like it was my boss would have a quiet night and then I'd get all the telephone calls. And I didn't have any provision in place for my mileage for out of hours. And I started to realize because I was salaried, I didn't get anything for being on call or out of hours or coming back or anything at that point that actually it was probably costing me seven or eight pounds in fuel every time. And there were some nights where I do that four times. And I started to realize like, this is costing me money to be on call. I'm actually chipping away at the work that I've done during the day because I'm coming back and being on call. And I actually, for a long time, just thought that's just how it is. It's just how it is. And I probably honestly left it for a year. And it was like this bubbling resentment in the back of my mind that I never said anything about. And then eventually I built up the courage and I went and spoke about it. And they said, yeah, no, that's fine. We can we can come up with an agreement on that. And they started reimbursing me for it. But actually, I'd had a whole year of getting nothing back for that. And it actually just been this annoyance. But I, I'd said no, because I just decided, well, if there's nothing in place, obviously there's nothing that can be done. This is just how it is. Yeah. And I guess along with that acceptance in that year, it's always when something else went wrong, you'd always go, well, they're not even paying me for my mileage and sort of adding it into your story that you're telling yourself. Yeah, 100% just that. Okay. So there's some of the common things that I guess come up. Was there anything else you wanted to discuss or cover? I think if we were to think of the key takeaways for people from this, because I know that everybody listening is going to be in a different place. They're going to be coming from a different situation. They're probably going to be sat with a different set of circumstances and a different set of thoughts come into this. So I think it might be valuable if we add in like some key take homes. I mean, I think the first one is never underestimate having some space held for you to reflect in a non-judgmental way, whether that's with a coach a counsellor or a therapist, or even just creating that space for you to get curious as to reflecting back, like we said, on those times. And Claire, what would you add in there? I think one of the most important things that any of us can ever do is really building that relationship with ourselves with compassion. So showing ourselves self-compassion and like Katie said, we're a profession that's very good at being compassionate with other people and our patients and our clients, but we don't get taught how to do that for ourselves. And self-compassion is honestly one of the biggest game changers because as we become more self-aware and we start to notice, we can go, oh my goodness, like, I can't believe I'm saying that to myself or I'm having these thoughts or I'm feeling this way. And this is why it's really important to bring self-compassion in so that we're not beating ourselves up with a stick for beating ourselves up with a stick so yeah I think really realizing how valuable it is to prioritize ourselves and knowing that as individuals we're important and what we want and need matters and 
again, that we're unique and, you know, our definition of success is going to be different to anybody else's. And that is okay, gently releasing the pressure and expectation of society and others and just tuning into what's really important to us. Yeah, definitely. And I think the final one that we're definitely all about at Vet Empowers, you know, here we're saying it all the time. And it's just that reminder that you're all valuable regardless. Like you arrived valuable. We've just gone through a system where we've been told you are valuable if you achieve this. You're valuable if you've got the car. You're valuable if you've got the house. You're valuable if you've got this. And this isn't like in an egotistical way. It's saying I'm valuable. Both of you two are valuable. People listening to this are valuable. There's enough to go around. And actually, if you decided to step out of farm work and go back to smallies, if it was or well, two smallies, if it's that you decided to step into industry, if you decided you were going to go and work at a social media marketing company, your value would remain the same. Even when we forget, there are going to be days where that little voice pops in or however we experience our thoughts and says, oh, well, they're all going to think this, this and this. But you're the one underneath listening. You're the one that was valuable the whole time as much as the world has constantly told us that we're not so if anyone is sat there thinking oh my gosh I'd really like to do this this or this but will it mean that I've wasted all my qualifications will it mean that I've wasted all this time it's never been wasted it's never been wasted and I get it sometimes we might have external people almost reflect that back to us. I know I've had family members now that I don't do as much clinical work say things like, oh, it's great what you do now, but isn't it a shame that you spent all those years at university? You're like, actually, I wouldn't be doing what I'm doing now if I hadn't spent all those years at university and had those experiences and come to here and just circling back right to the beginning, like Claire said, we can leave and come back. We've got, as Ebony from VSGD calls it, that vet passport, that vet nursing passport. It's always ours. We might need a refresher, but that is a unique thing we've all got that we can come back to and we can reuse. So hopefully that's been useful to people just to have those reminders. However difficult sometimes they feel to to sink in, we'll, we'll keep reminding people of those. Yeah, that's great. And it's always nice to end up on some take homes that are really applicable to to all listeners, because everyone's at different stages, as you said. So thank you very, very much for that and your time today. Um, Hopefully, uh, some of the listeners will do your follow on your social medias, as you said, um, at Vet Empowered. So definitely do that. And just to tell everyone that that's how this podcast ended up just by a DM over Instagram. So thank you very much for that. And hopefully, and there's some really useful sort of tips and tricks that we can all do in our time just give ourselves some time and some value so thank you very much thank you for having us we've loved it thank you so much Kat it's been a pleasure